0: section 5 of the cricket on the hearth by charles dickens this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the cricket on the hearth by charles dickens bertha remained where he had left her lost in meditation the gaiety had vanished from her downcast face and it was very sad Three or four times she shook her head, as if bewailing some remembrance or some loss. But her sorrowful reflections found no vent in words. It was not until Caleb had been occupied some time, in yoking a team of horses to a wagon by the summary process of nailing the harness to the vital parts of their bodies, that she drew near to his working-stool, and, sitting down beside him, said, "'Father, I am lonely in the dark. I want my eyes, my patient, willing eyes.' here they are said caleb always ready they are more yours than mine bertha any hour in the four-and-twenty what shall your eyes do for you dear look around the room father all right said caleb no sooner said than done bertha tell me about it Mm, it's much the same as usual said caleb homely but very snug the gay colors on the walls the bright flowers on the plates and dishes the shining wood where there are beams or panels the general cheerfulness and neatness of the building make it very pretty cheerful and neat it was wherever bertha's hands could busy themselves but nowhere else were cheerfulness and neatness possible in the old crazy shed which caleb's fancy had so transformed you have your working dress on and are not so gallant as when you wear your handsome coat said bertha touching him not quite so gallant answered caleb pretty brisk though "'Father,' said the blind girl, drawing close to his side, and stealing one arm around his neck, "'tell me something about May. Is she very fair?' "'She is indeed,' said Caleb. And she was indeed. It was quite a rare thing to Caleb not to have to draw on his invention. "'Her hair is dark,' said Bertha pensively. "'Darker than mine. Her voice is sweet and musical, I know. "'I've often loved to hear it. Her shape?' "'There's not a doll's in all the room to equal it,' said Caleb. "'And her eyes!' He stopped. for bertha had drawn closer around his neck. And from the arm that clung about him came a warning pressure that he understood too well. He coughed a moment, hammered for a moment, and then fell back upon the song about the sparkling bowl, his infallible resource in all such difficulties. "'Our friend, father, our benefactor. I am never tired, you know, of hearing about him.' now was i ever she said hastily of course not said caleb and with reason ah with how much reason cried the blind girl with such fervency that caleb though his motives were so pure could not endure to meet her face but dropped his eyes as if she could have read in them his innocent deceit tell me again about him dear father said bertha many times again his face is benevolent kind and tender honest and true "'I am sure it is. "'The manly heart that tries to cloak all favours "'with a show of roughness and unwillingness "'beats in its every look and glance.' "'And makes it noble,' said Caleb, in his quiet desperation. "'And makes it noble,' cried the blind girl. "'He is older than May, father.' "'Yes,' said Caleb reluctantly. "'He is a little older than May, but that don't signify.' "'Oh, father, yes. "'To be his patient companion in infirmity and age.' TO BE HIS GENTLE NURSE IN SICKNESS, AND HIS CONSTANT FRIEND IN SUFFERING AND SORROW, TO KNOW NO WEARINESS IN WORKING FOR HIS SAKE, TO WATCH HIM, TEND HIM, SIT BESIDE HIS BED, AND TALK TO HIM AWAKE, AND PRAY FOR HIM ASLEEP. WHAT PRIVILEGES THESE WOULD BE! WHAT OPPORTUNITIES FOR PROVING ALL HER TRUTH AND HER DEVOTION TO HIM! WOULD SHE DO ALL THIS, DEAR FATHER? NO DOUBT OF IT, SAID CALEB. I LOVE HER, FATHER. "'I can love her from my soul!' exclaimed the blind girl, and saying so, she laid her poor blind face on Caleb's shoulder, and so wept and wept that he was almost sorry to have brought that tearful happiness upon her. In the meantime, there had been a pretty sharp commotion at John Peerybingle's, for little Mrs. Peerybingle naturally couldn't think of going anywhere without the baby, and to get the baby under way took time. Not that there was much of the baby— speaking of it as a thing of weight and measure, but there was a vast deal to do about and about it, and it all had to be done by easy stages. For instance, when the baby was got, by hook and by crook, to a certain point of dressing, and you might have rationally supposed that another touch or two would finish him off, and then turn him out a tip-top baby challenging the world, he was unexpectedly extinguished in a flannel cap, and hustled off to bed where he simmered, so to speak, between two blankets for the best part of an hour. From this state of inaction he was then recalled, shining very much and roaring violently, to partake of, well, I would rather say, if you'll permit me to speak generally, of a slight repast, after which he went to sleep again. Mrs. Peerybingle took advantage of this interval to make herself as smart in a small way as ever you saw anybody in all your life and during the same short truce miss slowboy insinuated herself into a spencer of a fashion so surprising and ingenious that it had no connection with herself or anything else in the universe but was a shrunken dog eared independent fact pursuing its lonely course without the least regard to anybody by this time the baby being all alive again was invested by the united efforts of mrs peerybingle and miss slowboy with a cream-coloured mantle for its body and a sort of nankeen raised pie for its head and so in course of time they all three got down to the door where the old horse had already taken more than the full value of his day's toll out of the turnpike trust by tearing up the road with his impatient autographs and whence boxer might be dimly seen in the remote perspective standing looking back and tempting him to come on without orders as to a chair or anything of that kind for helping mrs Peerybingle into the cart you know very little of john if you think that was necessary before you could have seen him lift her from the ground there she was in her place fresh and rosy saying john how can you think of tilly if i might be allowed to mention a young lady's legs on any terms i would observe of miss slowboys that there was a fatality about them which rendered them singularly liable to be grazed, and that she never affected the smallest ascent or descent without recording the circumstances upon them with a notch, as Robinson Crusoe marked the days on his wooden calendar. But as this might be considered ungenteel, I'll think of it. "'John, you've got the basket, with the veal and ham-pie and things, and the bottles of beer,' asked Dot. "'If you haven't, you must turn around again this very minute.' "'You're a nice little article,' returned the carrier, "'to be talking about turning around, "'after keeping me a full quarter of an hour behind my time. "'I'm sorry for it, John,' said Dot in a great bustle, "'but I really could not think of going to Bertha's. "'I would not do it, John, on any account, "'without the veal and ham pie and things, "'and the bottles of beer. "'Way!' "'This monosyllable was addressed to the horse, "'who didn't mind it at all. "'Oh, do way, John,' said missus Peerybingle, Peary-Bingle. "'Please!' it'll be time enough to do that returned john when i begin to leave things behind me the basket's safe enough what a hard-hearted monster you must be, john not to have said so at once and save me such a turn i declare i wouldn't go to bertha's without the veal and ham pie and things and the bottles of beer for any money regularly once a fortnight ever since we have been married john we have made our little picnic there if anything was to go wrong with it I should think we were never to be lucky again." It was a kind thought in the first instance, said the carrier, and I honor you for it, little woman. "'My dear John,' replied Dot, turning very red. "'Don't talk about honoring me. Good gracious!' "'By the by,' observed the carrier, that old gentleman, again so visibly and instantly embarrassed. "'He's an odd fish,' said the carrier, looking straight along the road before them. "'I can't make him out.' I don't believe there's any harm in him. Not at all. I'm I, I'm sure there's none at all. Yes, said the carrier, with his eyes attracted to her face by the great earnestness of her manner. I am glad you feel so certain of it, because it's a confirmation to me. It's curious that he should have taken it into his head to ask leave to go on lodging with us, ain't it? Things come about so strangely uh, so very strangely she rejoined in a low voice, scarcely audible. "'However, he's a good-natured old gentleman,' said John, "'and pays like a gentleman, "'and I think his word is to be relied upon like a gentleman's. "'I had quite a long talk with him this morning. "'He can hear me better already,' he says, "'as he gets more used to my voice. "'He told me a great deal about himself, "'and I told him a great deal about myself. "'And a rare lot of questions he asked me.' I gave him information about my having two beats, you know, in my business, one day to the right from our house and back again, another day to the left from our house and back again, for he's a stranger and don't know the names of places around here. And he seemed quite pleased. Why, then, I shall be returning home to-night your way, he says, when I thought you'd be coming in an exactly opposite direction. That's capital. I may trouble you for another lift, perhaps, but I'll engage not to fall so sound asleep again he was sound asleep. Sure—dot? What are you thinking of? Thinking of, John? I uh, i was listening to you." "'Oh, that's all right,' said the carrier. I was afraid, from the look on your face, that I had gone rambling on so long as to set you thinking about something else. I was very near it, I'll be bound." Dot made no reply. They jogged on for some little time in silence but it was not easy to remain silent very long in john Peerybingle's bingle's cart for everybody on the road had something to say though it might only be how are you and indeed it was very often nothing else still to give that back again with the right spirit of cordiality required not merely a nod and a smile but as wholesome an action of the lungs withal as a great long-winded parliamentary speech sometimes Passengers on foot or horseback plodded on a little way beside the cart, for the express purpose of having a chat, and then there was a great deal to be said on both sides. Then Boxer gave occasion to more good-natured recognitions of and by the carrier than half a dozen Christians could have done. Everybody knew him all along the road, especially the fowls and pigs— who when they saw him approaching with his body all on one side and his ears pricked up inquisitively and that knob of a tail making the most of itself in the air immediately withdrew into remote back settlements without waiting for the honour of a nearer acquaintance he had business elsewhere going down all the turnings looking into all the wells bolting in and out of all the cottages dashing into the midst of the dame schools fluttering all the pigeons magnifying the tails of all the cats, and trotting into the public-houses like a regular customer. Wherever he went, somebody or other might have been heard to say, la here's Boxer!' and out came that somebody forthwith, accompanied by at least two or three other somebodies, to give John Peerybingle and his wife good-day. The packages and parcels for the errand-cart were numerous, and there were many stoppages to take them in and give them out, Which were not by any means the worst parts of the journey. Some people were so full of expectation about their parcels, and other people were so full of wonder about their parcels, and other people were so full of inexhaustible directions about their parcels, and john had such a lively interest in all the parcels that it was as good as a play. Likewise there were articles to carry. Which required to be considered and discussed, and in reference to the adjustment and disposition of which counsels had to be holden to the carrier and the sender, at which boxer usually assisted in short fits of the closest attention, and long fits of tearing round and round the assembled sages and barking himself hoarse. Of all these little incidents, Dot was the amused and open eyed spectatress from her chair in the cart. And as she sat there, looking on a charming little portrait, framed to admiration by the tilt, there was no lack of nudgings and glancings and whisperings and envyings among the younger men. And this delighted John the Carrier beyond measure, for he was proud to have his little wife admired, knowing that she didn't mind it, that, if anything, she rather liked it, perhaps. The trip was a little foggy, to be sure, in the January weather— and was raw and cold. But who cared for such trifles? Not Dot, decidedly. Not Tilly's slow boy, for she deemed sitting in the cart on any terms to be the highest point of human joys, the crowning circumstance of earthly hope. Not the baby, I'll be sworn, for it's not in baby nature to be warmer or more sound asleep, though its capacity is great in both respects, than that blessed young Peary was all the way. You couldn't see very far in the fog, of course, but you could see a great deal. It's astonishing how much you may see in a thicker fog than that, if you will only take the trouble to look for it. Why, even to sit watching for the fairy rings in the fields, and for the patches of hoar-frost still lingering in the shade, near hedges and by trees, was a pleasant occupation, to make no mention— of the unexpected shapes in which the trees themselves came starting out of the mist, and glided into it again. The hedges were tangled and bare, and waved a multitude of blighted garlands in the wind. But there was no discouragement in this. It was agreeable to contemplate, for it made the fireside warmer in possession, and the summer greener in expectancy. The river looked chilly, but it was in motion, and moving at a good pace, which was a great point the canal was rather slow and torpid that must be admitted never mind it would freeze the sooner when the frost set fairly in and then there would be skating and sliding and the heavy old barges frozen up somewhere near a wharf would smoke their rusty iron chimney pipes all day and have a lazy time of it in one place there was a great mound of weeds or stubble-burning, and they watched the fire so white in the daytime flaring through the fog with only here and there a dash of red in it, until, in consequence, as she observed of the smoke getting up her nose, Miss Slowboy choked, she could do anything of that sort on the smallest provocation, and woke the baby, who wouldn't go to sleep again?' But Boxer, who was in advance of them some quarter of a mile or so, had already passed the outposts of the town, and gained the corner of the street where Caleb and his daughter lived. And long before they had reached the door, he and the blind girl were on the pavement waiting to receive them. Boxer, by the way, made certain delicate distinctions of his own in his communication with Bertha, which persuade me fully that he knew her to be blind. He never sought to attract her attention by looking at her as he often did with other people, but touched her invariably. What experience he could ever have had of blind people or blind dogs, I don't know. He never lived with a blind master, nor had Mr. Boxer the Elder, nor Mrs. Boxer, nor any of his respectable family on either side ever been visited with blindness that I am aware of. He may have found it out for himself, perhaps, but he had got hold of it somehow and therefore he had hold of bertha too by the skirt and kept hold until mrs Puribingle and the baby and miss slowboy and the basket were all got safely within doors may fielding was already come and so was her mother a little querulous chip of an old lady with a peevish face who in right of having preserved a waist like a bedpost, was supposed to be a most transcendent figure and who, in consequence of having once been better off, or of laboring under an impression that she might have been, if something had happened which never did happen, and seemed to have never been particularly likely to come to pass, but it's all the same, was a very genteel and patronizing indeed. Griffin Tackleton was also there, doing the agreeable, with the evident sensation of being as perfectly at home and as unquestionably in his own element as a fresh young salmon on the top of the great pyramid may my dear old friend cried dot running up to meet her what a happiness to see you her old friend was to the full as hearty and as glad as she and it really was if you'll believe me quite a pleasant sight to see them embrace tackleton was a man of taste beyond all question May was very pretty. You know sometimes, when you are used to a pretty face, how, when it comes into contact and comparison with another pretty face, it seems for the moment to be homely and faded and hardly to deserve the high opinion you have of it? Now this was not at all the case, either with Dot or May. For May's face set off Dot's, and Dot's face set off May's so naturally and agreeably that, as john Piri Bingle was very near saying when he came into the room, they ought to have been born sisters, which was the only improvement you could have suggested. End of section five.